0: Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you watching online. Thank you for tuning in as well. We're grateful for that. Today we're beginning a brand new series as we go through the Gospel of Luke. And the series is called Missional God, Missional Church. Uh, Here's what I want you to get through this series over the next four weeks. The church has a mission because Jesus had a mission. Can you say amen to that? Yeah, the church has a mission because Jesus had a mission. So as part of our Year of the Gospel emphasis, we want to take the next four weeks and talk about that mission, and we also want to take the next four weeks and introduce you to a new partnership that we believe God's leading us into. Many of you have heard us talk about Remount Baptist Church in North Charleston. For months now, we've been talking about, praying about this partnership in North Charleston with Remount. So today, we want to show you just a very brief video of that church and that community, so you can kind of get to know the church, kind of get to know the community and understand our role in this gospel partnership. So let's watch this together.
1: Hey, Hey, Mount Airy Church family. Just wanted to give you an update on some things that we've been working on. We just got back, uh, myself, with a team from North Charleston, and we're looking to plant with a church there called Remount Baptist Church. Let me tell you just a little bit about this church. This church was dated back to the 1940s. They were a strong, thriving, healthy church. They were running about 1,200 in attendance at one time, and slowly it started to fade. In the 70s, they were running around 500, and they got to the point to where they were running about 30 people in their services, and their, their pastor, Pastor Joe, he'd been there about 15 years serving, and he realized that they needed help. So they... They asked for help, and the Charleston Baptist Association, along with Craig Tuck, have partnered and came in to revitalize this church in this this awesome community. They're going to be a church that's focused on the community around them. The community is actually split into pretty much a three-part community. Uh, One-third is white, one-third is black, and one-third is Latino. And their team represents that. They have a team of pastors that's coming on to focus to, on this community. We have the opportunity to come alongside them, to, to partner with them, to pray for them, to to come in, to, to get our hands dirty. They need all kinds of work done. The building is is a fairly old building. It needs some, it needs some updating, um, tons of gospel opportunities uh, to that community. So I just want to share with you this excitement and this opportunity we had to come alongside Remount Baptist Church in North Charleston and just just share the gospel, come alongside them, pray with them, encourage them, and partner with them. So thank you, I hope you're encouraged, and I hope you like what you see. Thank you.
0: It will be exciting indeed, each Sunday as we learn a little bit more about Remount Baptist Church and that gospel opportunity that we are being given. But today, right now, I want you to take God's word and open to Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. We start this series, we go to Luke chapter 9, and this is not only a new chapter in our Bibles, it really is a new chapter in the lives of the disciples. Over the text, even in my Bible, maybe it's the same in your Bible, it says, Jesus sends out the twelve. You perhaps have that in your Bible. The the twelve, up until this point, have been following Jesus, learning from Jesus, they were His helpers and His learners. For months and months and months. And now he's going to send them out to have their own ministry. Now he's going to kind of push them out to go put into practice what they've learned from him. What they've seen him do, he is now going to push them out for them to do. This was, in some ways you would say, their solo flight. I've been on one of those before and it is an exciting and terrifying experience. When the instructor gets out of the plane, shuts the door, and you go off to do the flight by yourself. That's essentially what the disciples were experiencing. The twelve disciples likely had some of those emotions as Jesus was sending them out on their own. And I want you to see how this chapter begins. Chapter 9, verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. Before He sends them out, the Bible says, He gave them power and authority To cast out demons and to heal the sick. Now one of the reasons that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's more than a great teacher, more than a great man, more than a great example, is because there is no other person on the planet who could do what He did. It's impossible for us, humanly speaking, to take some type of gift that we have and give it to somebody else some type of ability that we have, and give it to somebody else. Now, we can train them how to do what we do. We can teach them to do how, what we do. But it is impossible to take the gift that is in you and give it to somebody else. For example, if you're a concert pianist, I've, I've always wanted to play the piano. I wish a concert pianist could take their gift and just put it inside me and give it to me. Or if you're Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, it would be impossible to take that athletic ability out of them and put it in a high school quarterback. It's just not humanly possible to take what you have and give it to someone else unless unless you're the Son of God. And Jesus, He took what He had and He gave it to the twelve before He sent them out. The Bible says He gave the twelve the power and authority To do what he had been doing. To heal the sick and to cast out all the demons. So the power is the ability to accomplish the task. Authority is the right to do it. And so it says in verse 2, And he sent them out. Not only did he give to them this power and authority, but he sent them out To preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now I want you to notice that phrase, He sent them out. That is a significant phrase. That's why we call the disciples the apostles. The word apostle means sent ones. So He sent them out to do two things. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. I want you to remember that. That's important. We're going to see it three times in this text. This idea of here's, here's the agenda. Proclaim the kingdom of God And heal the sick. You see, Jesus cared about the whole person. He cared about their bodies as well as their soul. He cared about the physical as well as the spiritual. And so when He went out, He was preaching the kingdom of God, the spiritual, and He was healing their bodies, the physical. And when He sent the disciples out, He sent them to do that very thing. Now, He didn't make them medical doctors, but He gave them the ability to perform miracles. Because the miracle would validate their message. Then he gave the twelve some unique instructions. Look at verse 3. Watch this. He, he told them, verse 3, He told them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Now that's kind of an unusual instruction, isn't it? Now guys, you're getting ready to go out and, and do what I've done. You're getting ready to go on this preaching mission. But here's what I don't take anything with you. Don't take any bag, don't, don't, don't take a bag, don't take any money. Don't even take an extra change of clothes. Scholars over the years have debated, why did he give this unique instruction? What was it that he was trying to communicate and why did he do that? Some people say that the purpose was to blanket Judea, that the message was critical, and it was critical to go as far as fast as they can. And so if they were not encumbered by everything, if they were traveling light, they could go far and they could go fast. And I think there's probably something to be said about that. But I don't think that's the ultimate reason Jesus said, now when you go, don't take anything with you. No bag, no money, no no extra tunic. I, I think Jesus was teaching them a very strategic lesson. He wanted to teach them Rely on God as your provider. So when you go out on this, on this mission, don't take a bag, don't take any money, don't take even a change of clothes, because I want you to learn that you can rely on God as your provider. So these instructions forced the disciples, as they went out, not to rely on their provision, not to rely on their power, but they were forced to rely on God, His power, And here's provision. You see, here was the lesson that they were going to learn. And it's a lesson that we need to learn as well. We're going to put it on your screen. And here's the lesson. God provides what we need to complete His mission. Would you say that with me? It's on the screen. Say it with me. God provides what we need to complete His mission. Now, apparently, they they had some questions about, well, how do we do this? I mean, if we don't take any money, how are we going to... Have a place to stay. If we don't take any money, how are we going to eat? How how is all of this going to happen? So Jesus explains in verse 4. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. In other words, you will find people who will welcome you into their home. They'll take care of your needs. They'll give you a place to stay. They'll put food on the table. In other words, watch this. Don't miss this. Jesus said, God will provide for you through others. And we've seen that time and time again in life, haven't we? How God provides for our needs through others. God does that over and over again. And I just want you to think for just a moment, can we pause for a moment and realize that Remount Baptist Church is our opportunity to be the others. Remount Baptist Church is our opportunity to help fund the ministry and the mission God's giving them. But oftentimes, God meets our needs through others. We get to be the ones to help provide what God's going to be doing in North Charleston. We're the others to take care of those doing the mission. Now, continue the story with me. He says in verse 5, If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet, and when you leave their town as a testimony against them. In other words, there's sometimes they, they won't welcome you, you just got to move on. But look what he says in verse 6. Verse 6. So they set out, and they went from village to village, and watch what they did. Preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Does that sound familiar to you? Isn't that what he said, I want you to do in verse 2? Verse 2, I want you to go out and preach the kingdom of God. I want you to heal people everywhere. And that's what they did. But I want you to notice that last word in verse 6. It is the word everywhere. They focused on two things that Jesus had given them to do, and they did it everywhere. They covered a lot of ground because the 12 of them went out, and they covered a lot of ground. But here's what they learned. Everywhere they went, God always provided what they needed to accomplish His mission. Everywhere. Everywhere they went. Wherever they found themselves. They found someone who was partnering with God and helped provide for their needs. Now we come to verse 7 and 8, working our way through the story. Verses 7 and 8 are kind of a parenthesis to the story. In verses 7 and 8, the news of Jesus had reached the highest levels of government. Herod had even heard about the work of Jesus and his disciples. But we're going to skip down for a second time to verse 10. When the apostles returned, stop right there. In in verse 1, they were called the twelve. Now they're called apostles. Why is it that they are referred to as the apostles? Because the word apostles means sent ones, the ones sent out. So when the sent ones returned, verse 10, when the apostles, when the sent ones returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done, And they told him all about everything that had happened. Now, if you've ever been on a mission trip, you know exactly what this is like, don't you? Because at the end of the night... We all gather at the hotel and we debrief about the day. And we're excited to talk about what God did in this home and how this lady opened up her heart and how this, what this man said or what this person did. And every night we get excited talking about all that God did on that day. Well, when we come back, we debrief and tell the church and we're excited about everything that God did in Boston or everything that God did in Kenya or everything that God did uh, in Nashville. And we're talking about all these things. We're giving a report and we're very, very excited about it. Can you imagine the disciples? When they came back to give their mission report. When they came home and they're telling Jesus all that they had done, how they had cast out demons and and how they had healed people who were sick, how they God used them to perform miracles. And then Jesus ever the teacher, after he listened to all of their reports, Jesus ever the teacher, the second part of verse 10 says, then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Bethsaida is in the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. They were likely in Capernaum, and Jesus said, let's get in a boat, I want you to go away with me, and let's get some rest. You see, Mark says in Mark 6, 31, come with me by yourselves to a, to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus, ever the teacher, was demonstrating balance in ministry. Ministry is hard physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But, Jesus was so popular that even though He was trying to get away from the crowd and go to a quiet place to get some rest, He was so popular that the people saw Him getting in the boat and they were able to follow Him around the Sea of Galilee. So by the time He landed at Bethsaida, guess what? They were there waiting on Him. Look at verse 11. This this is interesting. Verse 11, "...but the crowds learned about it and followed Him. And He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God." and healed those who needed healing. Did you catch what Jesus did to the crowd? He welcomed them, and then He did two things. The two things are, He spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and He healed those who needed healing. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It's the third time we've seen it in this story. What a pattern for ministry. Jesus lived out what He was teaching His disciples, and what a pattern for ministry to focus on the physical and the spiritual needs of people. But, they were about to learn another huge lesson. I mean, it was a huge lesson they were about to learn. In fact, this lesson was so big that there's only one miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. Only one. Only one miracle in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Every one of them wrote about this miracle. And it's the one we're about to read about. And it was such a huge lesson for the disciples. Let's read about it. Verse 12. Late in the afternoon. Now, remember, they're, they're at Bethsaida. The crowds have followed Jesus' teaching and preaching, and he's healing the sick. And verse twelve: Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, "Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here." I just love this. They're watching their watch, and they're looking at the sun's getting ready to go down, and they're, they're thinking, "He needs to wrap this up." I mean, how are we going to handle this? How are we going to feed all these people? Where would they they stay? So they come to Jesus. They come to Jesus and they say, hey, you need to wrap this up. Uh, we need Just just send these people away saying they can go get something to eat. We're in a remote place here. You need to send them away. Did you see what they're doing? They're telling Jesus what to do rather than asking Him what they should do. I think when He gave them power and authority, it kind of went to their heads a little bit. And so they come to Jesus rather than asking, What do you think we ought to do? They tell him, Send these people away. Send these people to nearby villages so they can get something to eat. And I love verse, 30, or verse 13, where Jesus said, You give them something to eat. When you read it in the original language, it that you is emphatic. You give them something to eat. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, Hey guys, do you remember when I sent you on that preaching journey, that preaching tour? where did you stay? What did you eat? How did you get that? Well, people provided it for us. All right, now you do for these people what they did for you. You give them something to eat. And apparently that had at least entered their mind because in the second part of verse 13 uh, they said, we only have or we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. I mean, how are we supposed to do that? We, We... Watch this, you might even want to underline it in your Bible. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. I told you that this, this miracle is in all four Gospels. When you read all four Gospels, you really get kind of a picture of what that whole conversation was like. Mark tells us in his Gospel in Mark six thirty seven, that one of the disciples said, that would take eight months' wages to feed this kind of crowd. And Philip, John tells us in his gospel that Jesus turned to Philip and he asked Philip this question. He said, Philip, where would we go buy bread for this, for this crowd? Which is an interesting question because I've been to that same area and even in modern day Israel when you go there, it's hard to find a restaurant for a bus of 40 people. You have to plan ahead to make sure you've got a place to eat when you carrying 40 people. Can you imagine trying to find a place for 5,000 people? What if I sent you out today and said, how about running up to Powdersville and getting enough food for 5,000 people? Good luck with that, right? So, so Jesus turns to Philip, John says in his gospel, Jesus turned to Philip and said, Philip, where could we go buy bread for all of these people? And then in the next verse, in the next verse in John chapter 6, here's what John 6, 6 it says, He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And can I give you a good spiritual principle? When Jesus asks you to do the impossible, he already knows how it can be done. You see, he's not asking, hey, is this something you think you can handle? He wants to know if you have the faith to believe he can handle it. So when he's asking you to do the impossible, he already knows how it can be done. You see, the disciples were thinking in terms of their resources, What they could provide. And they looked at their hands and said, we we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. So let's see how the story unfolds. Verse 14. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Now if you're an engineering type or if you just are really into organization, you're going to love this part. If you're one of those organizing kind of people, you're going to love this part. You know, can I tell you how Pastor Keith would have done it? I would have got, when I did get all the food, I'd say, okay, start passing it out. Start passing it out. You start passing it out to a crowd of 500 you're, or 5,000, you're going to miss some people. Some people are going to, there's going to be a lot of people that don't get, because it's just hard to pass out to 5,000. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus, okay, set them down into groups of 50 then another group of 50 and another group of 50 and another group of 50. That way we can make sure everybody in this group has their food and then we can go to the next group and make sure they have their food and the next group make sure they have it. The, the, it was just genius. Break them up in groups of 50. But here's the, here's the amazing part of the story. Look at what happens. Verse 15, the disciples did so and everybody sat down and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks And broke them. Now would you notice in verse 15, are the disciples called the apostles here? In verse 15, are they called the apostles? Talk to me. No, what are they called? Disciples. They were called apostles previously. Now they're referred to as the disciples. You know why? Because disciple means learner. They're back in class. It's time to teach them something. To teach them an important lesson about God's provision. So Jesus took that little bit that they had, the the five loaves and the two fish, and he broke it. But watch this. He did not hand it to the crowds. Don't miss this. Jesus blessed it and he broke it, but he did not hand it to the crowds. Now I want you to talk back to me. Answer this question. Who gave the food to the crowds? According to the text. Who gave the food to the crowds? Disciples. Who gave the food to the disciples? Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, you give them something to eat. And they said, it's impossible. And then they did it. Because Jesus made it possible. He put the food in their hands. He helped them do what they could not do on their own. He put the bread in their hands so that they could put it into the hands of somebody else. He wanted to teach them about God's provision. Now, some of you know what this is like because it wasn't long ago we had Valentine's Day. And I, do you remember guys, some of you, do you remember when you were 11, 12, 13 years old, years age and, uh, and you had a, a little girlfriend and, and you bought her a box of chocolates but you bought her a box of chocolates because your mom put the money in your hand to make it possible. Right? Or even go back further than that. You go to church. Remember when you were little and you went to church and and your dad gave you a quarter or maybe a dollar and he put the money in your hands but when the offering plate came by, you got to put it in? You didn't provide that. Your daddy gave it to you. He put it in your hands so that you could give it. Jesus did that exact thing for the disciples. We only have five loaves and two fishes. He said, let me have them. Prayed over him, he blessed it, and he broke it. And here's what happened. He broke it. And he just put it in the hands of the disciples. And They carried it to that first group of 50 and they started handing it out. When that was gone, they went back and he put more in their hands. And they took it and they kept handing. Then they went to the next group of 50 and they would go back and he would put it in their hands. And he would go back. they would go back and give it to the group I wonder if they kept thinking in their mind, "We only had five fish or five loaves and two fish." but he keeps putting food in our hands, and we keep taking it and giving it out. I want you to hear me. Hear me well. Jesus is still doing that. He's still putting things in our hands to enable us to give it to somebody else. And I want you to read verse 17. They all ate and were satisfied. They didn't just get a snack. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. That is significant. Jesus' provision exceeded the needs of the 5,000. He didn't just feed the 5,000. He fed the 5,000 and there were 12 basketfuls left over. Could I say to you, what we have is always limited, but what God has never is. It's not a limit to what God has. And so he did this on purpose, I believe. Jesus kept handing them more and more and more. until to the point he said, okay, get your baskets and go pick up the leftovers. And each one had a basket, 12 disciples, 12 baskets. And they each went picking up leftovers and perhaps thinking, we only had five loaves of bread and two fish. We fed 5,000 plus and we've got leftovers. You know why? Jesus wanted to teach them this lesson. God provides what we need to accomplish His mission. And I want to show you how important this is in the life and ministry of Jesus, and in our lives. If you run over to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, while you're finding that, let me give you the context. This is occurring on the last night Jesus had with His disciples. It's occurring at what we call the Last Supper. And at that Last Supper, on that last night, near the end of the meal, in a few hours, He would be arrested tried, and right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, before he walks out the door to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked the disciples a question. Then verse 35, Jesus then asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they replied. Just think about that for a moment. On his last night, before he... He's heading to the Garden of Gethsemane on his last night together. He said, guys, remember that time I, took, I sent you out on that solo flight? Remember I sent you on that journey and I told you not to take a bag, not to take a purse, not to take any money, not, don't even take a change of clothes. Now, I, I want to ask you a question. Did you, did you lack anything? Nothing. No. Oh. God met our needs every day. Everywhere we went, God met our It was amazing. God met our needs. And he says to them in verse 36, he said to them, but now, now, in contrast, but now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. We could take a little while and talk about that, but let me summarize it for you. Here's what Jesus was saying. Guys, from this point on, life's going to be harder. From this point on, ministry is going to get a lot harder. And just like you used to go from village to village, and, and people would welcome you into their homes, and they would feed you and give you a place to stay, Ministry is going to get a lot harder. In fact, some of you might even want to carry a sword with you when you go. Because they're going to oppose what you're trying to do. Ministry is going to be a lot harder. But I just want you to remember. I want you to remember that lesson. When you stepped out in faith and obedience. And God provided for your every need. Because I want you to remember guys. He will always provide for you. Because God provides what we need to complete His mission. I've been in ministry since I was 18. I stepped out in faith and obedience one month before my 18th birthday. And I can tell you without hesitation or reservation, my God has always supplied my needs when I've sought to do His will. There has never been a time when I stepped out in faith and obedience, that He did not meet my needs. God has been, will always be our provider. Because God provides what we need to complete His mission. See, you've got to tie these two stories together. Sending them out on this first solo flight, this first preaching mission, sending them out, saying, don't take anything with you, God's going to provide everything you need. And then the feeding of the 5,000, in the feeding of the 5,000, God wanted to show them sometimes you're the answer. Sometimes He uses you to provide what others need. Sometimes you're the receiver, and sometimes you're the giver. Sometimes people help you, and sometimes you help people. But it's always God providing what you need. Sometimes God provides the needs that you have as you seek to do His ministry. And sometimes God uses you to provide for others as, you, as they seek to do his ministry, but it's always God providing. Always God providing. Can I remind you that God's greatest provision is what He did when He provided for our greatest need? You see, we all—the Bible says—we all have a problem for which there is no human solution. The Bible calls it sin, and. and And you can try to solve that problem that you have in a number of ways, but none of it will ever work. It's a problem for which there's no human solution, and that's why Jesus came. The Bible says, but God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God was providing once again, wasn't He? Providing for our greatest need. A sin debt we could never repay. A sin debt we could never undo. A problem we could never solve. Humanly impossible to remove the sin of our past. And once again, the Father provides what we need. Jesus Christ died on the cross, died in our place, died for our sin, because God was providing what we need. God was providing for our sin. Providing forgiveness we don't deserve. Providing grace we could never earn. Providing a relationship with Him through Christ dying in our place. Let's pray about that. I'm going to ask you a question as we're praying. Those watching online, I'd like for you to continue to listen to this and I want you to consider this. Do you know that you know the Lord Jesus? Do you know that you have a relationship with Him? Today you can do that with heads bowed, eye closed. Would you pray with me this prayer? If you never trusted Christ as Savior, this is God's provision for you. Would you pray with me this prayer? Silently in your heart if you need Christ in your life. Dear God, I know this message was for me today. Because I know, God, that I have a problem I can't fix. And so, Lord, I pray that You would forgive me of my sin. I repent of my sin. And by faith, I believe You have provided for my forgiveness. By faith, I trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross in my place. And by faith, I now receive that gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for loving me that way. Thank you for offering me forgiveness. Thank you for giving me what I do not deserve. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray with every head bowed, every eye still closed. If you prayed with me today, I'd love for you to come let me know. If you're here in the building, come outside and just stop by. So, Pastor, I pray to receive Christ with you today. Or you can get online. Those of you especially watching, you can get online at MyABaptist.com send me an email, let me know that you prayed to receive Christ so we can help you get started in your relationship with Him. Father, I want to thank You that You are the one who provides, that You provide for all of our needs as we seek to do Your kingdom work, as we seek to accomplish Your mission. Thank You for reminding us of that today, and thank You for Your gracious, abundant, faithful provision. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.